to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Well, I mean, I just spoke with her about what she was frightened of the most. And what was it about dying that scared her so much? And then just used my experience to talk her through, well, this is really what the actual dying process will look like. And, you know, yeah, just trying to alleviate some of those fears and concerns by speaking honestly about what actually does happen and what they can expect. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. Kim used to work as a palliative care nurse. Now she's a death doula, a woman who supports the dying and their loved ones during their end-of-life experience. In today's episode, she shares about her unique rituals and work with people who are dying to make their transition a gentle and beautiful one. Content warning. If you're suffering or triggered by the themes of this podcast, help services are listed in the show notes. Kim, you are a death doula. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) And I think some people will be familiar with the term birth doula, but perhaps not a death doula. Could you tell us what that means? Uh, Yes. So first of all, um, the word doula is, it's a Greek word meaning uh, a woman who serves or a person who serves. And um, yeah, but just as birth doulas are sort of helping to support people and their families at the beginning of life, end of life and death doulas are sort of supporting that, that person and their loved ones at the end of life. So it's very similar. Yeah, it's, it's very similar in what, in what we provide. So how – I've had a birth doula, so I understand oh, that good. process a little bit, but how would – or who – let's start with who would your clientele be? Okay, so most of my clientele are uh, people who've got like a terminal illness, Mm. usually uh, cancer patients who are terminally ill um, or even I've had clients who've been looking after their parents who are, you know, advanced dementia, caring for them at home, um, just looking for that little bit of extra support. Um, But, yeah, usually terminally ill 
cancer patients are the ones that I seem to deal with mostly. And, I mean, death can seem very scary to a lot of people. I would say maybe majority of people. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I forget about that. <laughs> <laughs> what What is it about bringing a doula in that feels safe to facilitate that moment versus just a family or a medical system? Yeah, well, I mean, I also work in um, the medical field. Like I'm a palliative care nurse and I've done that for 25 years or so now. So um, I've been working in the healthcare system in the hospitals and seen, you know, seen the need for that extra extra layer of support or just mm. to fill in the gaps that the medical and nursing and all the other teams just sometimes don't have the time to spend with people or uh, don't necessarily have the specific training and, um, you know, death and dying and what's after after death care options and funerals and all that side of things so like I know that um, in my nursing like once any of our patients have died sort of the care kind of stops there mm. and I I do see that little bit of a gap where families are kind of left there they're like oh you know what do we do now or what you know they're a little bit freaked out and in shock and um, just unable to process things Mm. This is really interesting. I think that you've come from a palliative care background. I think that's really interesting because you Mm. over 25 years would have had many experiences which have potentially not been so good with people passing over. Yes. And seen the need, right, for the work you're, you're bringing forward to, to do now. Can, can we just backtrack a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, this might be confronting for some people, but when my mum was dying of cancer and mm. she took a, a turn, mm. the doctors told me to be there because yeah. things were going to end, but they also warned me about what can happen when people die, you know, that they can um, really fight it, they can right. convulse, they can... Oh. Uh, do things <laughs> have you heard of all of that's this? interesting <laughs> oh it's i i just find that interesting that they they warned me they warned you like yeah they using warned, that term they warned like me wow and so i was um I, I wanted to stay in the room but i was terrified that if i was asleep and i woke up to it yeah it would scar me so I didn't sleep. I just kept, I was just awake and in there and I'd go out and have a wee or a drink and come back. And thank God she passed so peacefully and beautifully with just me there. And it was the most exceptional moment of my life, apart from the birth of my child. Of course. Yeah, it's really. But it's it's profound. It is. Could you tell us though, um, is that true with what the doctors said? Like, can people really... (sighs) go out fighting I mean fighting is one way I guess you could express it but and I'm I'm convulsing I wouldn't really say that but there I mean coming from my perspective as seeing you know hundreds and hundreds of people dying from cancer and terminal illness um, the dying process usually if you know 
if if families are, are talked to about it and explained what to expect and what the signs are and what all the natural processes are and that it's nothing it's nothing to be afraid of and it's you know it's a very natural process um i think putting fear in people like that and essentially warning them like that's i think that's a really you know dishonorable thing for a medical professional to do actually mm. Mm. um i've never experienced convulsions i mean there's certain stages of dying when someone's actually dying that they may have different sounds you know just um i know a lot of people probably heard of the term the death rattle um, what which, is, that? is that yeah well and that freaks people out as well but all that is is just when a person's body is shutting down and they're dying their gag reflex is you know it's not working and so it's just the secretions just sitting in the back of the throat is it like as, a dragging noise well it's just like a can be like a gurgling noise oh, okay and not everyone gets it and sometimes it can be very mild um and sometimes it can be quite loud it, depending on the person's illness like if they had like lung cancer or something like that and did have sort of a long-standing problems with secretions and stuff like that well then they are more likely to sort of experience that because it's all just kind of sitting there and they can't clear their throats mm -mm. um but there's medications that can be given from palliative care staff that can ease that it doesn't always work but um what we tend to tell people is that it's not it's not usually distressing for the person who's dying. It it's just can be distressing for people to hear it, you know, to listen to it and be in the room with it. But but again, it's about just explaining to people that it's very normal and natural and it's, you know, it's not painful, it's nothing, you know, it's just the, you know, it's just the natural process of some people's illness, you know, as they die. What, what else can happen physically? Uh, so... If, so the signs we normally sort of tell people that look, you know, obviously people lose consciousness and are unable to respond and the skin, you know, you might notice the fingers and the toes might change colour a little bit, like get a bit purpley, bluey, or they might get quite pale in the face. Their mouth can sometimes just kind of, they just relax their mouth a lot, so it can just kind of be Go sort slack. of... slack. Yeah, just open and their face can be a little bit sort of more drawn and gaunt and um yeah sometimes people don't you know sometimes people's eyes might stay open a little bit or you know just um and the breathing there's a lot of different breathing um changes as it gets closer and some people i guess when the doctor might have been saying people fight it um i i think yeah i mean some people just pass really peacefully and gently and the breathing's very very gentle and it's not very distressing or noticeable but other people may take longer deeper harder breaths um as their body's working harder to kind of let go and and i feel like that can really have a lot to do with um any emotional stuff or anything that's going on inside of them and their will to live as well you know that all plays a huge impact mm. it's it's such a big conversation because I 
you know, I um, went in there when my mum was losing consciousness and Mm. was coming in and out and she heard from the doctors that you really need to drink this sustagen and we need to get energy into you and you need to, (laughs) you know. Wow, yeah. And she was dead set trying. Oh, my God, a part of the pun. But she was was committed to, so she had a mask on and I'd left the room for a minute and I'd had this instinct to run back in and she'd taken the mask off and and this sustagen was all over her. She was trying to get it in. And we had all these very odd moments of her trying to get through until, you know, I could tell she really needed some kind of permission. She needed a conversation. Yeah. So can we talk about what you have learnt through your experience that really helps the person on the side of, you know, them having to let go? Yeah. Yeah. I think enabling people to have honest, open conversations about what's going on for them and not having, you know, to put up a front and um, be strong for everyone else that is around. But, like, yeah, it's really important that that there's support around them, either by the medical or nursing or families, just to have these, you know, difficult but open conversations about, you know, reassuring the person that, we're all going to be okay and that everything's going to be all right and we're not going to forget you and we'll always remember you and just, you know, really reassuring them so that they can just sort of let go and allow the natural process to happen. Mm. Um, Because I I have seen the difference in families, especially in the um, palliative care ward, where if you notice a difference when you walk into a room, if there's a family around the bed who are sitting there and everyone's petrified and no one's talking about it and everyone's just in a bit of a shell shock and it feels quite tense and, you know, awkward in the room. But then you can walk into another room where the family's openly talking about it and loving and, you know, really giving that person permission. You can just, there's such a a huge difference and then often a more peaceful death and transition for that person too. So you've actually seen that, that that... Yes. Oh, yeah, 100%. Many times. (laughs) I mean, it's quite noticeable to me as soon as you walk into a room, you know, you're just sort of picking up on the vibe and the energy in the room. So your role as a a palliative care nurse, is would that just be you kind of respecting the family doing what they're doing, whether that is helpful or not helpful, versus if you're hired as a doula, do you then, would you then shift the mood? Would you then be having conversations? Like what yeah. changes? Well, I think what I noticed, I mean, I, I mean, having done nursing for so long and witnessed so many deaths and everything, I, I was kind of didn't realize what more there was to know, you know, I thought, well, I've seen it, seen it all and I'm doing it. Like I really wondered what the end of life doula training would give me that I didn't already know Mm. um but what I did find difficult in in my nursing role was having being equipped and educated and trained to have those conversations with families Mm. um because so many families do say you know we know the doctors told us that 
won't be long and it couldn't it could be any time now but what what should we look for what do we do and you know not being you, you're not trained for that in your nursing you're not that's not part of your um the education they give you so i think the doula training really may helped me be more equipped with being comfortable in having those conversations and um yeah and not always feeling the need to to say something or to give your opinion but it's a more just of listening to the family and picking up on what they need and sort of um yeah really just a kind of holding space for the people that are in that situation and would you be working with the person that's passing before they get to kind of a place of unconsciousness like do you yeah yeah, yeah. well hopefully i mean that that is the ideal scenario that you um then the, that the doula can engage with the family before it happens i mean naturally i mean i guess you can kind of relate it to your birth doula like you wouldn't really bring your birth doula in just <laughs> right the at the end yeah when you're in labor and then it's, yeah. there's no relationship or yes so are you are you often hired by the 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 dying or are you hired yeah. by the family both both okay and so like how do you even I mean it's so confronting like how do you even start that kind of conversation of like do you know what I mean because so many people might be still in denial and then you yeah. come in the room yes. and it's like <laughs> do you want to talk about dying what is there resistance like it feels like a big job yeah I mean, I'm very used to it, so I feel really comfortable um, going into those sorts of scenarios. But um, there is, and obviously when you're dealing with families, there's definitely always different, um, you know, strains on relationships and everyone's at different spaces and, you know, understanding of what's and, and acceptance of what's going on. So you do just have to gauge each family and each person um, you know, every every situation is completely different. I've never had two that are the same. You know, you've just got to really listen to what, ask what the family or the person, why they've reached out to me, like what is it that mm. they need. And um, and then I can just go through the things that I can provide and, and help them with. How, how often, how long, I mean, it would be so varied, but they get you months in advance or weeks or well I mean I've had a few clients of mine it's been like 12 months which is I think been amazing and I, I really love that kind of setup the most but um often people tend to call when things are getting close and everyone's like oh god I think something's happening we we don't know what to do we don't know or they don't even know what to they actually want to ask. They just know that they need something more. Okay, so say I am, I've taken a turn, mm-hmm. and you enter, and I'm I'm in a bit of shock. Yeah. So are you at hospital? Or I'm in hospital. In okay. Yeah, I'm in hospital. So what would you be saying? So I guess I would just come in and be speaking to the person and asking them where they feel things are at, and what you know, asking what has the doctor told you and what. What do you feel like is going on and, you know, do you feel like, you know, death is coming soon or, um, you know, and just asking what, is there any worries or fears or questions you have around it and what do you need? And and so, like, if I say, 
yes, I am terrified and I need to know what's going to happen to me, how it's going to feel and where I'm going. Mm -hmm. There are some questions that you may not have the answers to. Because I think that would be the one thing is like, is this it? Do people get very philosophical with you? Yeah, I mean, some people have really strong belief. Like the the doula, death doula role is not a religion based um, role, so that's not anything we're trained in or speak about. It's, um, but you know, it's it's different for every person, and a lot of some people are very spiritual and have, you know, beliefs that they will, there is an afterlife, and others, you know, a client I had, she had absolute no belief that there was anything after death and she was petrified because of that Mm. um she's like i just don't have any spiritual belief no faith no nothing so what do you do with that person then how do you support that person when uh, in a for a lifetime they've thought this is it yeah well i mean i just spoke with her about what she was frightened of the most and what was it about dying that scared her so much and then just used my experience to talk her through, well, this is really what the actual dying process will look like. And, you know, yeah, just trying to alleviate some of those fears and concerns by speaking honestly about what actually does happen and what she can, ex- what they mm. can expect. Because what, because I mean, it's a weird question, but mm. generally how does it feel? Because the person is usually on their way out or maybe non-responsive. That's right. Do you know how it – can you explain? Like if I was like I'm scared it's going to hurt or um, how will I feel, what would you say? Well, I mean I would just reassure them that it's not usually – death is, from what I've witnessed is not a painful experience. It's more of a gradual, um, gradual slow slight deterioration you know when slipping into unconsciousness then you are not going to feel those things you're just going to be like in a deep sleep and you'll um you know the person tends to go more more inward you know you're not so focused on um they're not so focused on the environment around them but it's all sort of goes more internal and inward and um yeah I mean I obviously don't know what it feels like Mm. but I've never experienced anyone being that scared like when it like when it actually is happening because you're unconscious um your body just takes over and the natural process begins is there anything you need to tell the families about post death like because yeah i know that um we start to secrete fluids and things what's the what do you need to tell the family and, and again, not everyone does. Um, so what, when someone has died, we normally just, I mean, sometimes people might have, a, have their bowels open or if they were having a lot of secretions in their throat, sometimes that might come out the side of the mouth and everything. So we just tell them what to expect and that's okay. We'll clean that up and it's very normal and, um, you know, once... Once the person has died and you've laid them out and tidied them up, it's usually everything's fine then, you know what I mean? Like it's all contained. And How long can you 
be with the body? Well, uh, a long time actually, but it depends where the person has died. I mean, I mean, I know when if someone dies in a just the acute hospitals in a acute medical ward, it's very different to like dying at home or dying in a palliative care ward. You know, in I know in the in the acute hospitals, like if you just die on a medical ward, this they don't really lay the body out as such. Um, there's none of that sort of. The turnover is quick. Yeah, it's like oh, they've died. They just leave them as as they are, as they've died, and family can say goodbye, and and then I think that's it. But um, the difference in I know in a palliative care hospital is that um, our the palliative care staff are trained to lay the body out, straighten it up, make sure the the person's mouth is closed and their eyes are closed, and you know put them in fresh clothing, bathe them, do their hair, clean mm, sheets, mm. you know, set the room up and and then um, have the family sit with them for a few hours, you know, to say their goodbyes. And if they're at home? Yeah, so if they're at home, um, yeah, there's no rush. And you actually with dying at home in, I know in New South Wales, if you've, if you've got the body kept cool it can be a maximum of up to five days oh, that's amazing yeah I have um, what's called like a cooling bed or a cool plate which is um, you know there, there's not many there's not a lot of them around so you do need to do your home your homework to find them but it's like a refrigerated plate um, which you place underneath the body and it's plugged into the wall and it's it's quiet it just sits there and it's plugged in and it keeps the body um you know at the suitable temperature to keep the body cool and you know to stop decomposition happening and um yeah we use those i use those a lot for people who have home vigils and just want to keep their family or loved one overnight or a couple of days so everyone can come and say their goodbyes and mm. it's so beautiful because that's what a the, my my husband's Maori and in, in their culture yeah, and I know a lot of that's other what they cultures do. they do that and exactly so I'm not sure the timing but I'm feeling like it's a week or so and it feels like a really healthy way to mourn someone yeah oh it definitely is it's so beautiful I mean I know that when I hadn't experienced a home death situation before even myself I was a bit fearful of what I would be going into because I had just not fami- wasn't familiar in the home environment, but um, it's actually really, yeah, like you said, very beautiful. And I, what I hear a lot of people say is, it actually it feels so natural and so normal. Mm. Like they're fearful at the beginning, but then once they're there and they realise that it's it's just their loved one there, it's nothing to be scared of. And they can, yeah, it's really beautiful. And I'm really, yeah, really advocate for for home deaths. Because <laughs> there's nothing, like, because it is warmer here and, and in Australia than New Zealand. And say um, you do have the cooling plate and is it a, a legality that you get five days in New South Wales? Or Yes, and each state is different, so you'd uh-huh. need to look that up. But for New South Wales where I am, it's maximum five days. Does anything else happen to the body once it's been cleaned up initially? Uh, rigor mortis obviously sets in initially uh, where the body 
stiffens up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why when someone does die, it is a good idea to straighten their position, their body position out and keep it, you know, get mm-hmm. everything in alignment as soon as you can before rigor mortis sets in. And, How long um, do you have for that? Well, it, it varies with different with everyone. I mean, some people it can set in, you know, almost straight away or within half an hour and others right. it might be a couple of hours. So Right, but within um, within the day? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, post-death, okay. like, yeah. So something we always say if people have called and someone's died at home, we say, okay, just straighten them out, you know, just on your back as you, you would be lying, you know. Asleep. And Yeah, close, mm. close their eyes and close their mouth and just, um, yeah, because the rigor mortis does does ease off after a period of time and then the body becomes a bit more movable more movable again that's wild i know it's amazing it is and so i mean i'm just using my situation because it's easy but when my mum was in that kind of state of panic trying to stay alive she kept saying to me do you know something i don't know do you know something i don't know and i didn't want her to be fearful and I mean I was only 20 so I I followed my instinct and just said absolutely not there is nothing you need to know everything is under control and you are so well looked after and I'm here yeah what happened though is that had me be the only one that was present when she died which I completely loved because it was just always her and I growing up but for everybody else I feel like because people want to say their goodbyes. Yeah. But do you feel like that is, apart from um, immediate family, could that be quite stressful on people or is that really um, dependent on the person? They might want to see everyone and hug everyone and say goodbye or some people just need to not do that? Yeah. And, again, so it's very individual and unique with every person. Some people want or their family to be around them and they will wait, you know, they'll wait for people to arrive at the hospital for, you know, coming into state. They'll wait for them to arrive before they die. But then there's other people who have been surrounded by their family for a long time and this, and they'll wait until they have actually all left the room and then let go. So it's very, mm, it's a I've very, heard of that. Yeah, and people will be like devastated, like, oh, my God, I missed it. I just stepped out to get a coffee and, you know, but you just have to reassure them. Maybe they, they didn't want you to be present when they, when they died. So I've it's heard a, that so many times. It, you see it all the time and it's really hard for the people left behind because they feel so guilty that they weren't there. But um, often some people just want that space and that, privacy to die on their own you know it's not everyone wants everyone around them a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com have you experienced I mean, euthanasia is still illegal here, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is in New South Wales. Yeah. Have you experienced anyone that was just like, I want to die? I yes. want to die. All the time. Really? Yeah. It's very hard, really. I mean, I, 
you know, and part of the death doula role is like when you meet someone and you hear their story, it's like you have to come with no judgment and no expectation. Like this is the person that that's dying. This is their journey mm-hmm. and their story. And um, yeah, I I did have a client and who is still alive, but I know that he wishes he wasn't. And um, yeah, they really struggle because they don't. We don't have that assisted dying here and. So unfair. You know, it's so it, it unfair. Really, yeah. I mean, it, 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 you know, there's a, definitely a huge place for it and I can totally understand the perspective of that dying person, especially when if they know what's ahead of them and if that's not going to be pleasant. Mm. And, and the amount of pain and everything, yeah. the suffering that they have to go yeah. through. Yeah, and if they're, very, if they're a very independent, you know, private person and they don't want that, you know, it's, yeah, it's very difficult. It's very hard for families to. <laughs> do you just because oh, like there's very little you can do. No, right? no, I, like, exactly. I'm not in no position to do anything, so I can only just listen and. Yeah. So do you just talk? Yeah, we just. Um, and this, I mean, this client in particular had no one to talk to about it, and knew that it was completely taboo and off, off the radar for everyone else that knew them that they would not speak openly about them dying with them and wanting to die so um yeah for this client yeah I know he just really appreciated having a soundboard to someone Mm. he could say you know really what he was feeling what he wished could happen and yeah it's very it's really heartbreaking actually yeah yeah if if you're at a um if you're assisting someone at home yep what are the legalities around are you allowed to just die at home? Yeah, with a doula, like yes, hundred uh, percent. And then, and then, do you have to like call someone to like to come and certify? Yeah, do yes. all of that. Yeah. So when somebody dies at home, um, I mean, there's no rush. I mean, you don't have to call the ambulance or anything because no, what you would do is call your that person's GP, their local GP. And let them know that the person has died, and then the GP will come to the home and do the death certificate. If the person's going to be cremated there, they also require a second doctor to um, give permission for cre- cremation, but that usually happens at the funeral home. Okay, so the process is um, a couple of phone calls, and then yeah. do you manage if there are secretions? Yes. Uh, the rigor mortis, you, you manage yeah. all of that? Yes, yeah, I do. I mean, uh, the thing with the end-of-life doula role is everyone comes with different um, different experience and everyone comes with different kind of areas, I guess, that they want to work on. Like some, some doulas are more interested on doing the end-of-life planning, advanced care directives and that kind of um, you know, creating legacies and memory books and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and not everyone is wanting to be there for the home vigil or that actual dying experience. So that's kind of something you've got to ask when you engage in a doula is what are you prepared to do and what you need from them. What are your skills really? Yeah, yeah, and what are you comfortable with? So, But just for my, with me, I'm, you know, that's actually the part I love the most is helping the family and being there right at the end. And Wow, because that for me is like, thinking about bowels opening and 
bodies <laughs> and rigor mortis like that's quite confronting but you just you just say to everyone do you like you might not want to see this part yeah that's right I mean it's yeah you can you just inviting. talk them through it and that's then, right talk them you, through it and invite them to be as involved as they want to be and then do you have like a kit or something yep yep I have a bag with I just bring um you know what extra, you is in it oh like I might bring pads and wipes and towels and um but usually the family if they're at home you know you just use the stuff from home that they would be normally using anyway is there blood uh not often but unless the person's had a a bleed or something but if there is then you just I mean all you can do is manage it with towels and um you know darker colored towels this specific red towels you, you use in the hospitals and stuff wow um, so you just did just do it just do it just get in there just do it <laughs> and just do it and then just, just welcome people back in yeah or but it's also inviting people to join in like, oh wow if they want to really yeah well yeah and what I mean I that had a client recently recently who actually died in the hospital but then the family wanted to bring him home can you do that um, too uh yes you've got to in, you've got to engage your funeral director first to pick the body up and then the funeral director can transfer the body home with the cool plate which is what we did um yeah because the family just really didn't want this person to be um in the mortuary on their own they just really wanted to take continue that care for them the whole way so i met the family at home and we we bathed and dressed him and and it was interesting that it was a, a like a lady and a man couple and the man initially said to me oh luna i'm not going to be involved in this process i'm just doing this for her like she you know my sister wants this so i'll just be in the kitchen waiting and I said, oh, that's fine. I said, you may feel later you might want to come in and even just witness what's going on. And um, and by the end, he was in there helping, doing everything. Mm, so just naturally, beautiful. Like yeah. with, no, with no pressure. Like he just said, oh, I'll, I'll come and help put that shirt on and I'll, I'll hold him while we roll him over. Like, yeah. And it just organically kind of happened. Think, I'm thinking of it as a stranger, but if that was my family member, of course you would. Yeah yeah want to be involved in that yeah not everyone does but I find when people do like I said they say oh I'm so glad I did that like it it's a really um wonderful way to pave like a healthy grief and bereavement process actually physically participating and doing mm. something really kind of sort of allows it to process a little bit easier and helps with that yeah have you assisted lots of ages have you assisted children or teens uh, well I've only I've only done worked with probably two little babies um so that's yeah which was very difficult and not something I've had a lot of experience with at this stage and um yeah just dealt with a teenager this week actually which was probably a first for me so that was yeah it's really hard it is really hard actually and did you have experience with them prior to death? Uh, not this particular one. I didn't because um, I. one of my other jobs is I'm employed as a death doula for a holistic funeral director here in Sydney. So we 
we really specialise on integrating care at end of life and then death and then the funeral care. So, um, yeah, this was like a, um, a, a, this was a suicide actually. So the family just rang after it had happened and it was very tragic. Um, but yeah, it, it's really tough. So at that point, are you really there for the family then? Yes. So yeah, facilitating, um, I mean, what we did in our funeral home is, um, facilitated a viewing for the family to come in. Like once we had done the bathing and dressing and, um, we invited the family to come in and sit in our, you know, beautiful chapel space and sit around and, you know, have their time with that, with that person to, to say everything and to share stories and to cry and, yeah. I know. It makes me quite emotional. If, do you, oh, it is. Oh, yeah. Do you cry? Do you get emotional? All the time. Is that allowed in the job the description? <laughs> well, I, there's no rules, but, I mean, some people are very good at not being at, not crying, but I, um, I mean, I always cry. <laughs> yeah. And I can't, you know, I can't help it. But I think people are okay with that. I think they appreciate, appreciate the, the humanity. You know, yeah, I think you can't be faced with something so huge and so sad and not be affected by it like um yeah no I cry all the time because there's obviously different deaths and and a cancer or a um you know a slow release disease versus Mm. a suicide is such a different way of grief yes do you try and discuss that with the family on the stages in which are about to arrive for them yeah yeah, I think with a, a sudden unexpected death, like an accident or a suicide or something is very sudden, it's um, yeah more about talking families through the shock, you know, and the process of the shock that they're experiencing and how that affects their body physically and mentally and sort of explaining the normal process of that. Um, yeah, that, that is a huge thing for sudden deaths because people are in yeah, hyper-vigilant state of stress and shock and it's very different to an expected somewhat mm. death. And what do these families say to you, like post-death, post-months of grieving and they come back, do they feel like the service is valuable? Yes, yep, 100%. And, they yeah, people are really grateful that they've, yeah, that they had that extra support because, yeah, I mean, there's just so many gaps. Like I, you know, I witness it and see it all the time. There's, um, yeah, there's just a little bit of gaps in the health system with between all the nursing, medical, and then to when someone dies, the funeral. There's, yeah, people are left. They don't know what to do. You know, they don't know what to do or what to expect or what what's next. So, and this is a personal one. You can tell me to beat it, but cost. Yeah, and I'm sure it's different for you know people that have got months to go in that you're seeing more often. But in the industry, what's the kind of going rate for you know if people are wondering if they need this service? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, there's there's no set rate, so that is something each um, each doula would sort of set themselves. So um, I know that. For myself and most doulas that I know in our community, it's you can either run on a, like an hourly rate, 
mm-hmm. or you can tailor a package for that that person depending it, what they need and what's going to be required. Um, some people only want maybe one or two sessions with you just to get the information, mm. um, to know the facts, to know to know certain things, what to do, and then they're happy to go off and continue on their own. But others want you there and to have you on call 24-7 and be there like at the drop of a hat. So, um, yeah, it is very it is very varied in cost. But I would say, I would say the, I mean, I may be wrong, but from what I know from everyone, the, the range of the hourly rate would come, start from, say, $80 an hour up to 150 And, like, if I just wanted you there for a death day, like, a, yep. and the funeral or something, is that, like, a couple thousand dollars or something? Uh, well, I mean, I, yeah. Uh, like, for a not. package maybe? I don't know. Yeah, so that's something you work, you work with, with the family. And also, also assessing what that family is able to afford. I mean, I definitely would never have anyone miss out on this support and care if money oh, was an issue that's beautiful so, well yeah so you it's it's very it's like a sliding i work on a sliding scale so um yeah it's finding out what the what the family can afford and what's doable and and what's reasonable and you come to an agreement together so wonderful talking to you my final question today is who are you when no one's watching who am i when no one's watching well, I feel like I'm very much who I am when I'm working in my doula role. Like it, it doesn't for me. I doesn't feel separate. Like it's, it's who I am. It's, um, I don't know. I'm I'm very spiritual, compassionate. I don't know. Person seeking more meaning in life. I'm very fascinated in life and death and, um, yeah. Thank you. I don't know. You're welcome. My pleasure. That was really beautiful and I think um, going to be profound for some people that didn't even realise that you exist, you know, or yeah. that community exists. So, Oh, yeah, it's definitely out there. So, Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's the Deep. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting, it's quirky, it's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. 
During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.